You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Today, I want to talk about the fantastic Game 7 between the Utah Jazz and Denver Nuggets from Tuesday evening. Of course, the Denver Nuggets are moving on to the second round of the Western Conference playoffs. I want to touch on that game and also some of the key decisions coming up for a divisional rival um, in the Utah Jazz. They have a lot of... uh, a lot of decisions to make moving forward with their big two, I guess, in Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. So I want to talk about that dilemma because obviously the Wolves have a little bit of a dilemma of their own, um, but they're, you know, the two aren't necessarily all that dissimilar. So I want to touch on that. And then also um, the Wolves biggest decision of the off season, according to uh, Bleacher Report. And that is Zach Buckley, again, at Bleacher Report, who wrote a piece on Tuesday about the toughest decision for every NBA team this off season. So I will quibble a little bit with what he said about the Wolves. And uh, that'll be the show today. Uh, first, a quick reminder to please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at LockdownTWolves. That's at LockdownTWolves. Don't forget the T. And if you're so inclined, help us out with a positive review on Apple on iTunes. That really does help us out. All right. Um, let's talk a little bit about Utah and Denver. Obviously, this is a Wolves podcast, but we haven't talked a ton about the bubble and, and even the playoffs um, now that they've gotten rolling and have been for a couple of weeks. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, about the Jazz and the Nuggets. So the game ended up being really sloppy in a series that was basically Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray going head to head. And some of the other guys, Gobert and Jokic especially kind of got lost a little bit in the series, um, save for a couple big games here and there. But um, Denver ultimately won this game 80 to 78. Um, the fourth quarter was just a, a, a slog really uh, of these guys, not just Mitchell and and Murray, but primarily them going back and forth. Obviously, they each led their respective teams in in field goal pers- field goal shooting. Actually, Jokic ended up attempting a couple more field goals than Murray, and was the best player on the floor in this game, all things considered. Uh, but late in the game, it was a lot of Mitchell and Murray back and forth. Jokic hit a hit the big go ahead basket over Gobert. Um, as the play was happening, I was questioning why that was the play that they were running, but obviously, um, you know, going directly at Gobert, but Gobert had defensive struggles in the series. Murray shot seven for 21, of course, 33% in the game on Tuesday. So it made some sense. Jokic hit the basket and then each team, um, the Nuggets had two more opportunities. The Jazz had one more and nobody else scored in the game after that basket came at, it was like the 120 mark or something like that in the fourth quarter. And it ended up just being a low scoring somewhat sloppy, but mostly just because these teams were clearly exhausted um, type of affair. The Jazz only played eight guys and two of the guys off the bench um, only played seven minutes apiece. Jordan Clarkson played 25 minutes off the bench and all starters for the Jazz played at least 39 minutes. Clarkson was their second leading scorer during the season after he was acquired um, back in December. And he's a free agent, which we'll get into here in a minute. But, um, Without him, this team just didn't have much scoring punch. Gobert wasn't a consistent score, although he had 19 and 18 in this game, 19 points, 18 rebounds. And one of the question marks for the Jazz is where's the offense going to come from outside of Donovan Mitchell? Um, for the Nuggets in this game, Jokic had 30 points, 14 rebounds, four assists. And uh, Murray only had 17 points, four assists, two rebounds, shot seven of 21, one of six beyond the arc. 
the Nuggets as a team only shot 37.3%, 25.8% beyond the arc. The Jazz were 38% from the floor, just eight of 34, which is 23.5% on threes. And there weren't a ton of free throws either. There's just a lot of jump shooting, a lot of um, kind of these mid-range fall away type. I mean, there were multiple situations where both Mitchell and Murray were pump faking on threes. And granted, neither was shooting threes well in this game. Mitchell was two for eight. Murray was one for six from deep. But they would pump fake mostly open threes and dribble into a more difficult mid-range shot. And that's kind of what this game devolved into, unfortunately. It was still fun, obviously, a one-possession game and, and seeing these teams duel. Um, but the quality of basketball was was lower than some of the previous games. Uh, but congrats to the Nuggets for moving on. And then I want to talk a little bit about the Jazz and their off-season situation. Um, well, first of all, one of the things that really hurt them in the playoffs was they didn't have Bogdan Bogdanovich, excuse me, Boyan Bogdanovich available for the playoffs due to injury. And he was a big part of this team in the regular season. He was their, really their most consistent and best three-point shooter. Um, he's also the only guy on the floor this side of Donovan Mitchell and I guess Jordan Clarkson off the bench who had a high usage rate. And that's, that is the issue that the jazz have moving forward. They don't have any offensive creation outside of Donovan Mitchell. He's initiating everything that that offense does. And while Bogdanovich had a usage rate of 25 and a half percent, the next highest on the team outside of Mitchell and Clarkson is going to be in, in the mid teens. It's going to be some of your bench guys, uh, George and Yang. Um, some of these guys who, who, you know, still didn't have high usage rates, but it was higher than than guys that were part of the rotation. Joe Ingles is a 15% usage rate. Um, Rudy Gobert, 16%. Royce O'Neal, under 10%. Um, Royce O'Neal is, is, was overextended in this series because of the injuries and, and the limited rotation. And he's a fine, he's a very good defender and he's a fine rotational piece. And he did shoot you know, 37.7% from three. So functionally, he's been a better NBA player than any of the wing options that the Wolves have. He's been better than Josh Okogie. He's been better than um, Jared Culver, certainly. But he has such a limited role um, that he can't be playing, you know, 40 minutes a game like he was playing at times in this series, including in game seven, because he's a role player. He's a guy who can get you 20 minutes a game and be really effective as a three and D guy, but not in an overextended role such as that. And not when a guy who takes so many shots in Bogdanovich is not available. And that's where the Jazz really fell short in this series to no fault of their own in terms of um, outside of maybe, I guess, depth. Um, but not having Bogdanovich was was a, a really big issue for them. And, and I don't know if they for sure win the series with him, not for sure, but I think they'd have a good shot at it because it changes the offensive dynamic. It takes some of the onus off Mitchell, takes some of the onus off Gobert, and certainly some of the onus off the guys who filled in for Bogdanovich and played his minutes. All right, next I want to talk briefly about their contract situation. I don't want to spend a ton more time on the Jazz, but they do have to make decisions on contracts for Gobert and Mitchell, and they are a division, divisional opponent. So I think it's certainly worth discussing. So we're going to get into that uh, here next. All right, the Minnesota Timberwolves already have their two guys on max deals in Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. They're both 24. They've both been all-stars in Towns' case twice. And the Wolves have their... I guess uh, big two, if you want to call it that. However, they have not been to the playoffs with that big two intact. Russell's only played 14 games for the Wolves and uh, Carl Anthony Towns made the playoffs once with Jimmy Butler. You look at the Utah Jazz and in the situation is an apples to apples because they've seen success and these guys aren't on their rookie extensions yet. They've been to the playoffs four years in a row. They've won over 50 games, uh, two out of the past three years um, this year, obviously they would have had they played a full season, but because of the COVID hiatus um, they did not, but they've had a winning percentage of over 58.5% over 
over 585 over the last four years under Quinn Snyder. Um, and they've lost in the first round each of the last two years, which, you know, regular season wise were, were about as good as they have been now that you've had uh, Donovan Mitchell emerge a little bit. Rudy Gobert has been great now for four years and this is the post Gordon Hayward era and they've, they've been really good. So it's tough to say they need to blow this up. However, they have to make really tough decisions on Gobert and on Donovan Mitchell. Both players have a year left on their deal, but they're both extension eligible. And we've seen guys around the league get extended as soon as they become extension eligible. That includes rather than playing it out and, and risking, you know, injury and, and anything else that might happen. Uh, Pascal Siakam with the Raptors is, is I guess, the most recent example of that. The question is, can the Jazz afford to extend both these players and commit this much money to two guys when they've been knocked out in the first round each of the last two seasons and only hovered around the 50 win mark in the regular season? Mike Conley is also going to be on the books for $34.5 million, assuming he doesn't opt out. I don't know why he would at his age unless he's able to opt out and, and agree to a, a lower extension over the next two, three years with the Jazz to keep him on the team. He was really good in the playoffs. Um, I think there's an argument to be made that he was able to step up more offensively with Bogdanovich not in the mix. And with both of them, the pieces weren't quite all clicking together. However, you're still looking at a team that was first in three-point percentage in the league. Um, the, you know, In terms of attempts, they were I think they were 10th in attempts. So it's they weren't relying heavily on the three-point shot necessarily, but more just to provide spacing for Mitchell and, and for the screen and roll with Rudy Gobert. And Conley is a fairly big part of that. Bogdanovich is a really big part of it. Uh, Jordan Clarkson off the bench was was fine. It was good for this team and it was really important, but he got paid almost $13.5 million this year as a free agent. Should they really be prioritizing Clarkson with these question marks around Mitchell and Gobert? And if you sign Gobert to a full max, by the end of that deal, or really halfway through that deal, he's going to be making over $50 million a year and for as good as Rudy Gobert is, and arguably the best defensive player in the league, you know, uh, a former Defensive Player of the Year award winner, and you know, certainly a top two or three defender in the league, depending on your feelings of Giannis and the importance of Gobert defensively, can you really give a guy over fifty million a year who isn't always going to, you know, he's not going to consistently score for you? I mean, he averaged he's averaged fifteen over fifteen points a game the last two years. This year, he averaged fifteen points, thirteen and a half rebounds and still two blocks per game. He's always been a really, really good player in the last four years has been fantastic. Um, averaging at least his worst stats have been 13 and a half points per game, 10.7 rebounds and at least two blocks per game. But can you give him 50 million a year? And in today's NBA, I don't think that that's feasible. Can they convince him to take something like a near max so that they could retain Clarkson if that's what they want to do? I'm not sure that's what I would do. And then extend Donovan Mitchell. I don't see a scenario in which you don't give Donovan Mitchell the max. Um, there's certainly holes in his game, and, and I tend to think he's a little overrated as a superstar. Um, and I don't know that he's the one A on a championship team. However, the Jazz aren't really in a situation where they. I mean, it's 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 like the Andrew Wiggins situation on steroids, and that Donovan Mitchell is a legitimate superstar. He's really really good. Andrew Wiggins wasn't, but you don't look either of those situations in the face and say no, I'm not going to extend you. I'm not going to give you the max. The Timberwolves didn't have the guts to not extend Wiggins. There's no chance the Jazz don't extend Mitchell. And and I would if I were them too, because there's, I mean, he certainly can continue to improve. And at the very least, he could be the second best player in a championship team, depending on how else you fill out the roster. The question is, can Gobert and Mitchell as a duo, can they get you to the promised land on those salaries? Um, I, you know, 
I, I think I think that's the question, and that's a really tough question for Dennis Lindsay and the Jazz front office to answer um, here moving forward. So it'd be fascinating to see what they do and how they approach the offseason if they remain somewhat conservative and retain all their guys or if they, they try and make a play to create some additional space and change up the roster in some way around Mitchell, uh, which certainly won't be easy, but um, is a realistic possibility. All right. I want to transition right into uh, the Bleach Report article about the toughest decision every NBA team might make this offseason or must make this offseason by Zach Buckley. To me, I really think the toughest decision is actually going to be what happens with Malik Beasley. So I'll tell you what I think, what I think before I tell you what Buckley thinks. Um, yeah, the number one pick is, is there's a ton of question marks around that. There's so many ways the Wolves could go. But it's hard for them to to make a decision this offseason that's going to be seen as a terrible decision. Whereas if you overpay Malik Beasley and, and tie up cap space and bring in an undersized, um, poor defensive two guard to pair with your, you know, your not good defensive players in Russell and Towns, and Beasley's never proved it over the course of the season that he can be the third wheel on a champion or on a even a playoff team for that matter. And if you overpay him or if you let him walk and then he continues to star somewhere else, that's the question mark for me because there's there's a range of scenarios from letting him walk and paying him nothing to overpaying him. And also in terms of his performance from being more of a kind of a bench third guard instant offense type player to being a legitimate starter and potential star in this league. And I think the variance there is, is just as wide as it is with the number one pick, but there's even more money tied up into it, uh, depending on what situation or what decision the Wolves end up making. So I think the Beasley restricted free agency situation is actually the one that is the most fascinating and the biggest decision for the Wolves to make um, upcoming in this offseason. All right, next, I want to talk about Buckley's take on what the top decision is that they're going to need to make this offseason. Before we do that, let's talk about our friends at Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and it's not close. It tastes exactly like a candy bar. Plus, Built Bar is new and improved with brand new packaging, a new logo, and it's even more delicious than ever. There were already 12 original flavors, nut and non-nut flavors. There are now six brand new flavors, lemon almond cheesecake, cherry barcia, carrot cake, cookies and cream, apple almond crisp, and caramel brownie. I should have my shipment coming soon. I can't wait. The bars are all covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft. They're easy to chew. They're perfect if you're health conscious, if you're trying to lose or maintain weight while still indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are all low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber, and they're perfect for a keto diet. Right now, for a limited time, you'll receive a free cooler with your purchase. Well, supplies last. They tell us this won't last for much longer. Go to builtbar.com, use promo code locked on. You get 10 bucks off your next order. Not necessarily your first order. If you've ordered before, you can go back, builtbar.com, use promo code locked on. You'll get $10 off your next order. That's promo code locked on for $10 off at builtbar.com. All right, discussing the most important decision that the Timberwolves have to make this offseason. Uh, my take on it is the Malik Beasley restricted free agency decision. Um, the, the Juancho Hernan Gomez one is is much less important because you're talking about a range of salaries from probably five to eight million or something like that at most. And if it gets higher than that, it's pretty easy to walk away um, from Hernan Gomez. And it's you know, it's always possible he's included in a sign and trade, but that's not all that likely. Um, the Beasley one to me is the biggest deal. Zach Buckley at Bleacher Report did this for every team. He thinks, and to me, this is just, uh, you know, no offense to Zach, he had to do this for 30 teams, but it's just easy to say, of course, they have the number one pick. This is a big decision they have to make. 
the number one pick this year, you know, as he says, what do you do? Do you just take the, uh, your patient, you take the best player on your board or the player you deem is the best player available, whether it's Lamella ball or Anthony Edwards, almost certainly one of those two. Um, and he quotes Bobby Marks who talked, you know, I talked about his podcast he did with Darren Wolfson, um, about a week, a little over a week ago now, but he has Bobby Marks quote from his conversation with Jace Frederick of the pioneer press, uh, this past week. And the quote from Marks is it's not like you're swapping that pick to get a franchise level player back. Like that doesn't get you Bradley Beal, for example, end quote. We talked about this here. Obviously the wolves aren't under any delusion that they can trade the number one pick in this draft for any sort of established superstar, but packaging that pick with somebody else, whether it's James Johnson's $16 million option uh, contract, once he opts in, whether it's Jarrett Culver and, or Josh Akogi, um, really anything short of D'Angelo Russell or Carl Anthony Towns, yeah, that pick does have some value. And so then Buckley goes on to list some of the names we've discussed here. He mentions Victor Oladipo and John Collins, Zach Levine, Laurie Markkinen, that type of a player who's a borderline superstar with star upside, superstar upside. Certainly Oladipo is a superstar already, but the question with him, as we discussed, I think it was on Monday's show or Tuesday's show, is that he's a free agent after next year. Unless the Wolves are fairly confident they can re-up him quickly and that he's worth that given some injury concerns that he's had throughout his career. You know, Collins, Levine, and Markkinen are all not stars. They're close. You could argue Collins is. They're basically borderline stars with upside remaining that could potentially be the third wheel on a playoff team. Can they be the third wheel on a on a championship contending team? That's a huge question mark. And if the answer is no, do you trade the number one pick even in a weak draft? to gain somebody who, you know, takes you from 115 points a game to 125 points a game and, and your defense doesn't get any better. And you could say that about all three of those guys, Collins, Levine, and Markkinen, among others. So the question is, do you take the best player available, fit be damned, whether it's Anthony Edwards or LaMelo Ball? Um, and, and I think Edwards fits from a positional perspective, but as we've said, I don't like him as a prospect uh, and certainly not a number one. Um, or do you take ball and figure out figure out the rest later? And I'm still on record as saying that I think that's the route the Timberwolves are going to go. I think I think ultimately you see the Wolves keeping the pick and drafting ball, um, and maybe draft maybe trading ball before training camp even starts, a la trading the Cavs trading Andrew Wiggins to the Wolves for Kevin Love. You know, after summer league before training camp, that sort of a situation is a possibility if the team is unable to trade the pick before the draft, I still think that's their first option, but there's so many ifs involved in that. There's so many question marks on, you know, what, what comes of this? Um, what, what market is there for the number one pick? So if they stay put, I think it's still Lamella ball as the, uh, the ultimate selection. But that to me, um, is the other, obviously the one B to the Malik Beasley situation for this off season. And to be clear, obviously the number one pick has the best potential, um, I think that there's still the possibility that they can trade it for a player that's better than Malik Beasley. But I think in, in a vacuum, the decision for Malik Beasley is going to be worth more dollars now than what they do with the number one pick um, long term. Because if you draft the Melo Ball and he's not a fit, there's still going to be some market for trading him even before you extend him. If you trade the number one pick, I have full confidence in, in Rosas making that decision and still retaining value. Um, and, and that's another thing that we talked about in the San Vicini article on The Athletic the other day. Gerson Rosas is all about value. That's what's most important to him. And he's only going to trade that pick if he can get requisite value back. He's not going to make a leap just to make a leap. All right. That's all we have for you today on the show. 
Later this week, we are going to continue talking about um, this offseason. We're also going to get back into the draft big board. We're going to get into the mock draft crossover 4.0 with other Lockdown NBA hosts. So we'll look forward to doing that. Thanks once again for listening to the Lockdown Wolves podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Remember, the Lockdown Network is your local experts on the biggest stories. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves. That's at Lockdown T Wolves. Don't forget the T. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Lockdown Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.